Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. Greetings, hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our silver bullet loaded gun slinging... Vampire Hunter, Slick Frog Sanders. Ah, I love vampires. I hate vampires. Exterminate the vampires. What's up? You guys know Abraham Lincoln killed vampires? Yeah, little known fact. (laughs) As we continue our Hushtober celebration, we pull out the garlic and sharpen our wooden spikes as we delve into the dark and bloody world of vampires. In this journey, we will sift through the history and lore, read stories of sightings of the alleged creature, and accounts from real-life vampires themselves. We investigate how to spot and even kill them, and reveal why they have become so popular yet feared for generations. But before we sink our teeth into this one, be sure to follow us on all our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As always, you can join us every Sunday for our X-Files watch parties happening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have not done them for a couple weeks because I was hit with the vid. I got Ronad. The pandemic is over, folks. Look, (laughs) hey. I was told it was okay. Join our Discord and have a chat with us. Come by, watch the X-Files and the occasional documentary. (laughs) Won't you come by? (laughs) and for everything hush hush society head on over to our official website www.hushhushsociety.com there you can find all of our episodes you can find more conspiracies in our spiffy blog section purchase merchandise you can leave a review or rate the show even leave a voicemail maybe we'll play it on the show maybe we won't who knows Oh, please leave a voicemail. Yeah. Leave a voicemail of you feverishly masturbating to the erotica. (laughs) It's just Jergens. It's Jergens all day. Quick note to anyone that is watching or listening, uh, in case we didn't let you know already or you don't follow us on social media, we have parted ways with the Paranormal Network. There is no ill will when it comes to the Paranormal Network. It was a business decision on their end, which we totally understand. They are a YouTube-driven podcast network, and conspiracies do not run well with YouTube. We have two strikes. Yes. (laughs) YouTube has flagged our content multiple times, and they ended up flagging the Paranormal Network's stuff that we put up, and they're not going to lose a bunch of money because of us. If you'd like us to be part of your YouTube network, please get a hold of us. (laughs) (laughs) We promise we'll only get you two strikes before we leave. If you really jive with Mystery Mike, Declassified Dave, and myself, 
If you are a true hushling and you want to hear more of us, you can head over to our Patreon where we have three whole more segments. We've got the exclusive debriefings just like this one, but exclusive to the patron members. We have the Frank Factor, which is monthly conspiratorial news, including Declassified Dave and myself. And there is also Cryptid Erotica Readings hosted by Mystery Mike. Shit gets real hot and steamy over there. And for only $5 a month, you can unlock over nine hours of content. You pretty much can't go wrong with becoming a member of the society and the exclusivity for total ascension. $5. Come on. Come on over. Yes. And if you join our Patreon, you will also get our episode shout outs, uh, especially when you join Darren Hodges. Thank you for joining the Patreon and becoming a true hushling, along with everyone that is already following us. God bless your souls. God bless you. All right, boys. We're ready to do some vampire hunting. In darkness and death, he is known as a dark prince and an immortal, shape-shifting, undead monster who preys on the living and survives by consuming the vital blood of innocence. Poor babies. And surprisingly, seductive vampires have become one of the most lasting romantic fictions of all time. Suck on that, baby. The fictional vampire is rooted in a grim reality from the past. The vampire illusion grew out of actual incidents and horrifying encounters of death and the unknown. The concept of vampirism has existed for millennia. The Mesopotamians, Hebrews, ancient Greeks, and Romans all had myths about demons and spirits supposed to be ancestors of modern vampires. Despite the prevalence of vampires in these ancient civilizations, the tale of the romanticized vampire that we know today stems almost exclusively from the 17th and early 18th century Southern Europe, where people truly believed that these beings were in fact real. We begin in Eastern Europe, and superstition was still very much a part of the way of life in these countries like Hungary, a shout out, Poland, England, and most Christian parts of Europe. So, Frank, um, you are a hungry person. Yes, yes, I am half Hungarian. Yes, hungry, you know, yep. ship it over to Turkey for some, yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah. it all. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you know about your family being infested with vampires? Mm. You want to get real? What do the Mongolians have to do with it? Because they brought their heathenous activity into that country. Isn't there the myth that Genghis Khan or something like that was a vampire? No, but most people that are living today have like his genes or something like that because he fucked so many people. I'm sure that's a thing. He was notorious for uh, raping. So... Yeah, probably. I'm sure a lot of people, even if you go back to like England or any royalty in these times, I'm sure a lot of people that are living today are descendants or loose descendants of some of these people because they just insatiably fucked everything that walked. Yeah, a lot of mongoloids roaming the earth. (laughs) (laughs) There were stories that were told of dead men that returned from the grave. They would prey on men and animals and injure them, and often it resulted in death. In Slavic mythology, the Striga is usually a female demon, descended from the fabled Strix of ancient Rome and ancient Greece in the 4th century BC. 
The description of the demon has wings, and has a thirst for blood which resembles a vampire, and is also found in Polish folklore. One of the first written accounts was in 1336 by a shepherd named Mislata from Blav, modern-day Czech Republic, if you don't know. And he had passed on and was buried, but he did not remain in the grave, and instead he wandered the streets and spoke to people every evening. That'd be creepy as fuck, man. I mean, it's not terrible. He was just chatty. He was a chatty Cathy. He quickly began killing others. As a result, towns across the country agreed to exhume him and burn his body. During the procedure, it said he let out a loud scream. Someone then stabbed him with a stick and fresh blood poured out of the wound. When he was burned, all of the negative events ended, allegedly. He was back in his grave? So he would rise, what, every night out of his grave? Come to talk to people. Then he would kill people. He moved on to that. And then they dug him up one night that he didn't wake up. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. stabbed him. And he bled out. Yeah. And then lit him on fire, right? It seems like a reasonable like way to go about handling the situation. Like, this dude won't stop getting out of his grave. We just got to get rid of the body. I don't know why they decided to stab him first. Like, just capture him and tie him up. Just do it the Salem witch trial style. Let's see if he makes some noise. Stab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we go any further, what I always found pretty funny. I watched the other night, I watched a vampire movie keeping up with the theme of the month and the main character in the movie he goes and he's like yeah just forget all that garlic shit forget all that there's only two ways to kill him you stab him through the heart or you decapitate him and son definitely will fuck them up and it's like if you stabbed anybody in the heart that could be said of literally anyone to any human if you decapitate or stab someone in the heart with anything (laughs) that will kill them It makes me think, in looking back at the history of vampires, how many people were were just mistaken. They're just stabbing people with wooden spikes for no reason. Just really (laughs) suave gentlemen walking down the street in the middle of the night, talking to ladies. Hey, how you doing? And then just some dude runs up and just stabs him in the heart. Vampire! (laughs) Demon! This dude's just trying to get some. Damn. What a way to go out. Gets fucking head chopped off. The second occurrence took place in 1344. There's the story of a woman who returned from the dead and slaughtered a large number of people. After she was unearthed and a stake was put into her, blood began to flow from her as if she were alive. Another occurrence where fresh blood comes out of a dead body. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's a little weird. Are they like ticks? <laughs> just filled with blood. My question is, especially with the first one, if they went to exhume him, does this guy go back into the grave and neatly put the grass, the turf back over? It's fresh dirt all the time. That would be suspicious. Eight months later, a whole couple seasons later, and you got fresh dirt that looks like somebody's tilling it every single day. Another thought that occurred to me when it comes to vampires. So they ingest blood that sustains them now do do vampires poop i think that's a question for liver king i think liver king could answer that because he mostly just consumes blood 
It's the same question that you would have about, like, let's say a zombie, okay? Mm Because you have a dead individual, because for all intent and purpose, a vampire is dead, or the living dead, whatever. The digestive system would stop working, and it wouldn't work the same, and zombies, if they consume flesh, wouldn't process it. It would just, like, run straight through them, or (laughs) even worse, it would continue to fill their guts until their Ah. guts eventually exploded because there would be no processing of the meat. So it'd be the same thing for a vampire. Maybe all vampires are just really fat fucks. Is it just straight unadulterated nutrients? Is it immediately absorbed? Once it hits the gut, is it just absorbed for nutrients and you just piss out whatever's left? Then you would have a completely different digestive system as a human being. Why? You can't live off of blood. Wouldn't it be like along the same lines as having a liquid diet? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, people do that. Probably tastes good. You've tasted blood before, I'm sure. So Tastes like copper pennies. I'm doing an experiment this week. You're going to drink your own blood? (laughs) Yeah, dude. I'm going to go find a butcher and just live off of like cow blood for a week. Make sure it's at least organic. Go to like... Whole Foods and fill up like a sherbet container of blood for me. I'm going straight to a dairy farm and slitting throats <laughs> with like a, a Home Depot bucket. <laughs> Fucking over bucket filled with blood. I'm going to put a Home Depot bucket full of blood into the backseat of my Honda Civic and make a <laughs> complete mess. It's going to be sloshing around as you drive away. <laughs> in 1560 in Hungary... A woman named Elizabeth Bathory was known as the Blood Countess. One of her servants cut themselves and the blood spattered onto her face. And then she noticed her skin was healthier and younger after being covered in someone else's blood. Yikes. Eventually, it turned into a bloodlust and she allegedly ended up killing up to 650 girls and bathing in their blood until she was caught and tried. What? 650 people. Is this ringing any bells in the adrenochrome realm? Mm. Mm. It it brings some of that to light a little bit. Yeah. It also depends on how young the girls were, right? There is an interesting part of one of the Hostel movies. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's like the first Mm. couple minutes of one of the Hostel movies. This woman does exactly that. She like gets into this massive tub and there's a Is that the lady with the the sickle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she's just like hacking away at the girl that's hung upside down or something like that. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was fucked up scene. Elizabeth Bathory is one of those figures in history that is very interesting, especially when it comes to vampirism or just blood obsession in general. Is that where the word bath comes from? No, no. Why do we always go down this rabbit hole? Come on. I mean, just think about it. You think the term taking a bath comes from soaking in blood? Not comes from soaking in blood, comes from her name, which she soaked in blood. There had to have been baths before then. Yeah, baths. But were they called baths? Every word has an origin. No, you're right. You're right. If you're going from old Proto-Germanic... And then you got Old English 450 to 1100 baptism. Now the actual Middle English 
new English term to wash a person or animal in a bath, a building, or area. You guys seen those videos of priests just absolutely drowning babies <laughs> during their baptisms? <laughs> Aggressively dunking babies into baths. Yeah. I don't know. I think it would probably have something to do with the religious aspect of it. Moving forward, one of the first accounts of the 18th century was in Medveta, Serbia in 1732. Over the course of three months, 17 villagers were reported to have died from vampire attacks. But who was this vampire? It was Frank. <laughs> That's what I would sound like as a vampire. Arnold Powell was rumored to be attacked in Turkey years before he was dug up after 40 days, and surprisingly, his body was barely decayed. He also had fresh blood all over him, splattered all over, trenched, red, and it seemed to have come from his ears, nose, and mouth. They saw new skin that had grown over his rotten flesh and ultimately drove a stake through his heart, resulting in full death. Is that a thing? The regeneration of skin over the rotten flesh for vampires? That sounds like adrenochrome. That's gross, dude. Imagine cutting somebody's arm off. And, like, from the outside, they look completely healthy and normal. Maybe not healthy and normal, but they look like somewhat of a regular person. And then you cut their arm off, and the whole entire inside is just decomposed and rotten. Mm. It's like a bad piece of fruit. Or like in a scene in a horror movie where you're shaking their hand, and you pull your hand away, and you, <laughs> you like, de-glove them. Yeah. That's a good point. That does happen. That's gross. Like a bad avocado. Vampires, bad avocados. That's the title. Did he regrow his foreskin, though? That's the <laughs> I'm telling you, cryptid erotica, vampires, you could do a lot with that just off of what we've talked about here. Of course, this is all around the same time, give or take, of the Salem witch trials in colonial Massachusetts. Between February 1692 and May of 1693, which we talked about previously, actually in a previous Hushtober. And when we went over that, that was incredibly shocking. Witch hunts were seen all across early modern Europe, but the most significant area of witch hunting is considered to be southwestern Germany, where the highest concentration of witch trials occurred during the years 1561 to 1670. Wow, that is a long period of witch trials. That's where my uh, dad's side is from, southwestern Germany. Your family is just a bunch of witch-burning people. In the 19th century, there were reports such as the one on May 28th of 1854 in Griswold, Connecticut. Hey, shout out. Ho Horace Ray was exhumed and his heart was destroyed because his relatives just all died. There's also a story in 1820 about someone only known as JB who was also exhumed. Dude, Connecticut has some weird shit going on in its history. I mean, it's probably just like a New England thing, but we just so happen to be in like the midst of it, so it stands out more so. The thing about southern New England that's unique with some of these stories, unlike just stabbing somebody in the heart with a wooden stake, is that in March of 1892 in Exeter, Rhode Island, a girl named Mercy Brown was exhumed and her heart was actually cut out as well. And they burned it on a rock and fed it to the family member who was dying of something called consumption at the time, which is now known as 
tuberculosis. And like Mercy Brown, a little bit earlier in 1784, a man named Isaac Johnson was buried as a vampire also in Willington, Connecticut. So there was definitely some vampire shenanigans going on in the 18th and 19th century in the nutmeg state. Do you think that was a regular thing with tuberculosis? Feeding healthy body parts and internal organs to a sick person to try to get them better? That's the only time I ever found anything almost like proto-cannibalism, really. It wasn't healthy. That's the thing. Her body was exhumed. She was already dead. But even as a person who is like dying of consumption or tuberculosis... Why would you go, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Let's do this. What do you have to lose? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I see it differently. Like, I'm not going to eat flesh or organs of a person who's already been dead for however long. If they put her in the ground and it's in March in Rhode Island, she's frozen. She's fine. She's preserved. No, she was exhumed in March. Oh, if she went through a New England summer in that hurricane season or something like that, yeah. <laughs> Gotten all soggy and shit. Waterlogged. <laughs> Dude, just boil it in some chicken stock. You'll be fine. <laughs> this whole belief in vampires and vampirism extended beyond Eastern Europe and beyond all these other countries and made its way into America there has to be some sort of story that has traveled or something, some sort of evidence towards there being these creatures. Living in that time must have been so bizarre. Science wasn't there for you. All you had was superstition and the church and your beliefs, and that was it. You've got consumption. Eat your sister's fucking heart. (laughs) Yeah. Put this leech on your eyeball. (laughs) (laughs) How to Cure Glaucoma 101. In the 1930s, John and Wayne Carter were two of the most notorious vampires in New Orleans. One day, a young girl escaped their apartment, running for help, with blood pouring from her wrists. When the police investigated the apartment, they found four people tied to chairs, with their wrists slit, as well as dozens of dead bodies completely drained of blood. Yikes. It is said to have taken eight police officers to hold down and detain the brothers. The brothers were executed for their crimes and buried in a vaulted tomb. The vault was open to receive the body of another family member, and the workers handling the body were astonished to find no trace of the brothers in the vault. They had vanished. What? A vaulted tomb is one that's locked, right? I would imagine. Why did they go to put this third family member in there? Was that third family member also suspected of being a vampire? Could have been. Or just the tomb that the family owned. Yeah, it could have been that. What's interesting about this, we've got a lot of wrist slitting. And that's not really traditional with the whole vampire story of sucking blood from the throat. Mm. Well, they do an interview with the vampire. They do a lot of wrist action. Really? Yeah, it it keeps the victim alive longer, I guess. Yeah, you're not going from the main source of the blood flow. At least that's how they like describe it in Interview with a Vampire, as we're yeah. talking about that. That was another piece of lore, was consuming dead man's blood mm-hmm. is poisonous to a vampire. Poisonous. It would make sense to slit the wrists 
to slowly drain the blood, keep the person alive long enough to get a lot of blood out of them. What's the difference between the nutritional value of oxidated blood versus not oxidated blood? What difference does that serve? I never thought about that. Can vampires breathe? Do their lungs still work? I mean, they're technically dead. But then that goes back into the biology of what vampires are. Hushlings, we will return after these brief messages. Greetings, Hushtillians. As we continue our Hushtober celebration, we hop up on the bed, take a few jumps, and audit the books of Mattress Firm. Was this cozy company really laundering money? We also try to decipher the cryptic nature of the internet puzzles of Cicada 3301. We will also quiz each other, the preceptors, with some hush-hush trivia, as well as some giveaways. Join the boys today, Monday, October 17th, for Debriefing 60, Mattress Firm, and Cicada 3301, live on Facebook, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. In the early 2000s in Transylvania, a girl committed suicide and they only buried her one foot down. Then they exhumed the grave and drove a stake through her heart. This one I found very interesting because it was very modern, 2000s, you know? Yeah, early 2000s. And this one, the story behind it was that anybody who had committed suicide had in their village or surrounding areas had a demon attached to them. So the reason why they buried them only a foot was to bury the body in preparation to stake it and then really bury the body six feet. Very, very strange. Why even bother burying them at all? Why wouldn't That's you just take the body thinking. straight there and just be like, all right. I think it was a test to see if it would become a vampire so they can actually see it happen. If you thought that there'd be demons and that you would have a vampire situation on your hands, wouldn't you just nip it in the bud right there, like you said? You would think. Yeah, just burn it. There are also other areas of the world that have very similar stories and tales, one area being Africa, where multiple accounts from various regions all over the continent have folk tales featuring beings with vampiric abilities. I think this is just something that's across the board if we're talking about all over the place. In North America, there is actually the Sowukwian, which is in the Dominican. And there's also the Lugaru, which is dominantly in Louisiana, Haiti, and other parts of the Caribbean. And they're an example of a shape-shifting, reclusive old woman by day. Shapeshifts by night. Yeah, Lugaru is a a scary one. In India, there is Kali. By night, she flies across the dark sky in search of a victim. And she sucks the blood from their arms, necks, legs, in soft parts. Ooh, soft parts. Exactly. <laughs> soft parts are we talking about? Butt cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> Butt cheeks. Definitely. There's myths and legends that are rooted in all parts of Asia and Southeast Asia as well. I really wanted to get into some of the stories that I was reading during the Vietnam War with some things that these guys were seeing. They were also eating a bunch of fucking acid. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being like shell shocked, tired, exhausted for months and months, D 
dehydrated, completely lacking nutrients, eating acid twice a week in the Vietnam jungle. Yeah, you're going to see vampires. There's also a mixture of the French and African voodoo beliefs and cultures. And with that comes the French loop garou, meaning werewolf. There's so much lore about vampires. And like we've said before in other episodes, we could do multiple episodes on the history and lore of some of these creatures. But the question is, how does one become a vampire? And can something really live off of blood like we asked before? The consensus in the medical community is that drinking raw blood is associated with health risks and can have serious life-threatening outcomes. This is not a recommended practice, obviously, unless you feel like pooping out of your eyes. Human blood contains about 9 grams of salt per liter. Those 3 liters you're drinking each day would give you around 4.5 times of your RDA, which would lead to dehydration and kidney failure if you didn't also drink lots of water, and hypertension if you did. That's a fucking conspiracy in itself. Don't drink blood. They're trying to stop us from drinking blood. Yeah, dude. The CDC is trying to stop you from drinking blood and living longer. <laughs> Don't let the elites win. Do you think vampires are more attracted to unvaccinated blood or vaccinated blood? The elites are trying to hog all of the unvaccinated blood for themselves. The lore states that you must be bitten to turn into a vampire. I'm sure you've heard about this. They will dominantly go for the chest or some sort of soft tissue and not like the modern day film and the theatrical world's portrayal of a vampire from a draining bite to the neck. So they're biting directly over the heart. Or any other soft tissue. Yeah. Yeah. The buttocks. It is said that those who died by drowning, suicide, disease, murder, or violent death were susceptible to becoming a part of the bloodthirsty undead. And blood, blood is the source of life. By drinking the blood of the living, it would give the vampire the gift of immortality. And that is the overall belief. Some have even said that the creature swells so much with blood, like ticks, that it leaks from all of their pores and orifices and fills their coffins. That's... See? So they're not fat fucks. They're just... <laughs> they just leak... They're just bloated. It brings it back to that guy that got exhumed and he had blood all over him coming out of his ears and his nose and his mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense now. With all of the fear from actual vampires, that must have brought out the very interesting profession of vampire hunter or slayer. Man, I would love that. It'd be so cool. These people were actually extremely educated in various disciplines. They would carry wooden stakes and, in some cases, silver bullets and garlic. Hushling, you might be asking yourself, why wood, silver, and garlic? And that's a very valid question. Now, after the use of coffins became more commonplace, the stakes instead were driven into the heart, as common belief held that the destruction of the heart would kill an otherwise immortal vampire. So why the emphasis on wooden stick? It's not just the wood, it's the type of wood that actually counts. And it's said that ash, aspen, willow, and juniper are often chosen. Though the most common stake of choice is one carved from hawthorn wood. And each type of wood is steeped in folklore that gives it its power. In Asia, willow is believed to have power over the dead. Silver is toxic to silver-sensitive vampires. Ooh, it's so sensitive. If the silver bullet rips right through the vampire, it's no better than any other bullet. 
The bullet has to remain in the vampire's body to allow the poison to work and prevent healing. So we're we're talking hollow points here, right? We're talking silver hollows. Uh, probably 22s. Yeah, 22 would probably be better. Some European beliefs around vampires stated that they were created by a disease of the blood. So a powerful antibiotic would kill a vampire. The Vampire Hunter Association informed the people to cut the heads off of the deceased that fit the criteria or nailed them down in burial in fear of them rising from the dead and turning into vampires. Some also used dolmens, which were ancient stone monuments that were found placed over the graves of many suspected vampires, partially in areas in and around northern Europe. Archaeologists believe they were installed over the graves to stop the evil spirits from rising from the body once the vampire was dead. These monuments looked like stone tables and were often incredibly heavy, obviously, to keep them from rising from the grave. Do you think that's maybe where we started making gravestones? As just like headstone markers, because there are some older cemeteries, especially like if you talk about Granary Cemetery in Boston, there's a lot of graves that are just small headstones. But then there's a lot in that cemetery, too, that are almost like an Egyptian sarcophagus, big Mm -hmm. stone. There are some beliefs that tilted gravestones may indicate the undead or because of shortcomings in the medical knowledge of the time, the individuals were accidentally buried alive. That's fucking terrifying. The tilting would be because of them trying to dig out or... Yeah, Hmm. that's what it seems like. In some cases in which people reported sounds emanating from a specific coffin, it was later dug up and fingernail marks were often discovered on the inside from the victim trying to escape. In other cases, the person would hit their heads, noses, faces, and it would appear that they had been feeding. Oh, like a vampire I, does. Yeah, I would imagine in a panic, you know, you're trying to get out and pushing and pushing and pushing. Yeah, that could explain why all the blood is on people. That maybe they were just all people that were buried alive by accident. Ugh, terrible. Wasn't there a certain point in time in history, too? Probably around this time because they were doing it so much where they put like a bell attached to the coffin just in case. Yep. Now, there's some other theories that are more of rational thought other than a superhuman undead creature. There were plagues of tuberculosis that could have led to the belief that these individuals were actually vampires. It was not unusual for someone suffering from an unknown bodily disease to be dubbed a vampire as well. There's also porphyria, which is a blood ailment that can cause severe blisters on sun-exposed skin and has been identified as many studies as a sickness that may be tied to the vampire legend of photosensitivity. Rabies has also been linked with vampire folklore. Dr. Juan Gomez Alonso, a neurologist in Vigo, Spain, examined this possibility in a report in neurology. The susceptibility to garlic and light could be due to hypersensitivity, which is a symptom of rabies. Ooh, shit. I didn't know if you had rabies, you gotta, you're susceptible to garlic. No, I didn't know that either. No. It's probably just susceptible to anything that's very strong like that. It can also affect portions of the brain that could lead to disturbances of normal sleep patterns and hypersexuality. I didn't know that rabies was about fucking and biting. (laughs) Legend once said a man was not rabid if he could bear to look at his own reflection. I, I thought that had something to do with the silver in the mirrors. That could be a possibility too. 
because back then they made the reflective surfaces of mirrors out of silver. The legend is that a vampire can't see their own reflection. There's also some other associations with vampires, which wolves, you know, werewolves, wolves, and bats, big time, which can be carriers of rabies. And the disease can also lead to a drive to bite others, create aggressive behavior, and have some frothing of the mouth. And obviously, if you bit somebody, it'd be bloody. Although many cultures have stories about them, vampire bats have only recently become a part of traditional vampire lore. Vampire bats were integrated into vampire folklore after they were discovered on the South American mainland in the 16th century. So around that time when all the vampire lore started, 1500s. In most literature, as we all know, Dracula transforms into a bat several times in the novel, and vampire bats themselves are mentioned twice in it. The 1927 stage production of Dracula followed the novel in having Dracula turn into a bat, as he did in the film. You might be asking yourself, what about Twilight? I'm sure, Hushlings, you've probably seen glimpses of nastiness of Edward shimmering in the sunlight as a vampire. But that might not be the case. You see, the mystique of the literature vampire is so intertwined with sunlight that it's kind of difficult to envision a vampire story without a mention to it. Even Dracula didn't mind the daylight. He was more powerful at night thanks to Bram Stoker's understanding of the most basic rule of terror, although he could and did do errands during the day. Vampires can stand it. Little inconsistency there, huh? Hmm. Another question is, how do vampires become so photosensitive, or UV-sensitive? J. Gordon Melton brings out a flaw in his straightforward explanation. He says, Nosferatu was outlawed immediately after its initial release in 1922, and all the copies were destroyed, resulting in relatively few people seeing it. What is Nosferatu? Nosferatu was one of the very first vampire movies. It was a silent black and white film. Did you know that there's people who are actually living today that claim to be modern living vampires? Did you know about this? I did not know. Did you hear about that? What's, what's her name? California politician, old, frankly, short. What's her name? What's her name? You got Pelosi. <laughs> Pelosi. Bing bong. You win. Vampire lottery. In an interview with Joseph Laycock from Boston University in 2009, who wrote Vampires Today, The Truth About Modern Vampirism, said that he has examined teenagers, stay-at-home moms, grandmothers, and professionals, all unremarkable subjects, save for one little thing. They claim to feed off of other people's energy and every so often drink human blood. Oh, energy vampires. Before we move on, how many people have you met like that you can actually, not that you would categorize them maybe as a vampire, but how many people have you met where no matter what, it might be acquaintances, it's generally not friends because you want to be around people that you're friends with, but... How many people have you worked with or just been around where you're like, holy fuck, like I feel like shit standing next to this person? Yeah, like, like they're just leeching your energy. Yeah, hmm. yeah that's yeah. called that's called a reptilian. Joseph Laycock states that there are three types of real life vampires. Sanguinarian, psychic, and hybrids. Sanguinarians feed on very small amounts of human blood generally just a few drops what's the purpose of that ah nutrients 
Well, didn't uh, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly drink each other's blood? Don't they do that often? Dude, yeah. Yeah. that's probably just like a clout stunt. Yeah. Trying to be edgy. It's not even real. But I, I could see it happening. If any two people in Hollywood are doing it, it's MGK and Megan Fox. When Joseph was asked if they bite people's necks, he replied, not usually because it's very painful and highly unsanitary. Most sanguinarians use a syringe to feed. Another interesting question that was asked to Joseph was, how do psychic vampires feed? His response is, people have auras that protect their energy and chakras, and psychic vampires feed by sipping life energy through a tentacle that's attached to those auras. Although, of course, not everyone can see either the auras or the tentacles. Psychic vampirism has always been a part of occult literature since the 19th century, and the idea that some borrow or take energy from others is common throughout Asia. These psychic tentacles kind of remind me of James Cameron's Avatar, where they <laughs> they kind of link up link up their weird little tentacle tails, and psychically they can control these like animals. I don't mm. know. I don't know. I don't know. When posed with the question, did any of your sources try to feed on your energy, <laughs> James states, Not that I noticed. A lot of vampires say that ordinary people don't sustain them. The really good energy comes from creative, passionate types like artists or religious figures. So in other words, uh, this man is just a dull, dull human being. <laughs> 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 that is like the most nonchalant insult from a vampire that I've ever heard. Is he interviewing a vampire in this? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. So this vampire literally just shat on him. Uh, yeah. You, your your vibes are off. Not touching that blood. You're not going to feed on me, are you? No. You are super fucking boring. <laughs> You are the least appetizing human I've ever come across. <laughs> he was also asked what common vampire myths apply to real vampires. And the response was some report having sun allergies. I know of one woman who wears welding goggles whenever she goes outdoors. But I know another vampire who went to Thailand and sat on the beach all day. Maybe she's just really into steampunk. Dude, that's really badass if you just walk into Walmart with welding goggles on. I respect the shit out of you. And you can't see shit. Little do you know that they want to eat your blood. There was a case of possible clinical vampirism in Kentucky in 1996 where Rod Farrell, who was 16 at the time, believed he was a 500-year-old vampire and created a cult called the Vampire Clan. Not very original, but his name was supposed to be Visago. Straight into the point, though, nonetheless. The Vampire Clan? Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. I'm shook. If the Vampire Clan is in my town in Kentucky, I'm rattled. I yeah. am rattled and I'm moving away. You made your point. Farrell and two others drove to Florida and killed his girlfriend's parents. Oh, that escalated nice. quickly. Wow. Yeah. He burned a V into their corpses. And he was tried and sentenced to life in prison. And he was said to have Asperger's and not clinical vampirism. That's pretty vicious. Let's just drive from Kentucky to Florida and uh, kill your parents. 
<laughs> Notice there wasn't any blood sucking though. I think they no. might have just been wannabes. I think they might have just so. been bored hicks in Kentucky. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, but to be blatantly honest, they might have just been very bored people in Kentucky. In modern works of fiction and pop culture portraying vampires, when an existing vampire bites or sires a human, he converts them into a new vampire and bestows eternal life on them. The sire must choose to spare their life by not draining their blood, otherwise he would drink them to death. This form of new vampire creation has been portrayed in Anne Rice's interview with a vampire in the 2000s TV series Angel, or Buffy. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. What the hell is Sarah Michelle Gellar doing? Let's talk about Dracula a little bit. Now, Dracula is a huge player in the vampire lore. You've all heard of him. Dracula is a major character in more films than any other but Sherlock Holmes. And many early films were either based on the novel Dracula or closely derived from it. As we said before, Dracula is a novel by Bram Stoker and it was published in 1897. And Bran Castle is not mentioned in the novel Dracula. And the novel's description of the castle does not match Bran Castle, which is where Dracula lives. The claimed connection between the castle and Dracula legend is dominantly tourism-driven. It's thought that Stoker named Count Dracula after he came across accounts of the atrocities committed by Vlad III, or Vlad the Impaler, and used the Dracula name after reading on the subject, but his inspiration for Dracula was not solely based on the historical figure. Fun fact... King Charles is actually Vlad's great-grandson 16 times removed through the consort of George V. The new monarch makes no secret of his bloodthirsty connections and is said to enjoy visiting Romania. Isn't that weird? That's mega sus. I gotta get a sus card that I can just hold up to, <laughs> to, the, to the camera. That's what I need. I'm making a sus card. So that I can call sus without saying sus. Well, Vlad the Impaler, wasn't he known to have put heads on spikes and have blood everywhere? And that could have been like really the inspiration from the bloodthirsty or bloodlust. He was just a psychopath recluse. He would uh, display his enemies' dead bodies on spikes. Mm. It's a bloody connection. We also mentioned earlier the silent German expressionist horror film Nosferatu directed by F.W. Muranu and featured the first film portrayal of Dracula. Other popular movies include Blade, Underworld, and the Twilight Saga, which offers some sparkle into the subject. As always, Hushlings, we get towards the end of the show and we dive into the Reddit subs and find some of the weirder, more fringe thoughts. I combed Reddit for a couple days about just vampires, and I came across a group called Real Vampires. And one of the posts was, this was from a couple weeks ago actually, was from the user Purple Berry. And it's titled Astral Feeding. And this person says, I do long distance feeding daily, which is in a way the astral, but it's within my temple rather than the astral realm. I summon the target in my temple. A friend told me to look into the imagined mirror and I will be pulled into the astral by the undead. Is this true? Regardless, how did you get started in the astral? This subreddit talks about the sanguarians and feeders of energy. User Mira Malverick responded, The temple of the vampire teachings I see. Well, there's no easy answer for that. 
If you already distant feed without depending on your eyes entirely, then yes, you already tap into the astral in some way so you understand how it is. Astral feed, out of the body experience, dream flight, and among other examples from which you interact directly with the astral are quite similar in the sense that you hold mastery over the concepts you are applying. It's a lot to take in. Purpleberry goes on to say, Thank you. How long do you spend feeding per day on average? I was always curious about what others do with this. Mira responds back, Daily, I would say until I feel satisfied. But that may take long, and so depending on my own performance on that day, I might not leave satisfied. Another user goes on to say, Every person you come into contact with is a target. That's where it solidified it for me. I was like, ooh. So these people are talking about using astral projection to feed. It's very strange. That's what I was getting at. If this is actually happening on the astral realm, on the astral plane, it mm -hmm. brings me back to that conversation that we had with Vince Field and his memoir of running into some sort of negative creature, some demonic entity. Now, Vince Field, for example, is transferring himself onto this astral realm just to experience it but maybe there's people out there that can achieve this astral realm and they do so with the intentions of feeding off of other people's energies in some sort of negative soul-sucking sort of way and that's absolutely terrifying I, mean, I never really thought of vampires as being energy suckers, more of just like the physical portion. Well, that'll jump us into our final thoughts. Let's get into our final thoughts about vampires and vampirism. Dave, what do you got? Oh, I got a couple of points real quick. I think overall vampires, it's a creepy, really kind of scary concept, especially like what we were just talking about in the Reddit portion. But I think biologically with humans, there can't be vampires. I'm not a doctor, but you can't live forever off of someone else's blood. And I think we, we might've made that clear earlier. And if there is a creature on this earth that can survive solely on blood that appears to be human, yet gets burned by the sun and can't go outside other than at night, it could be some type of cryptid that we, we have talked about. Maybe skinwalker. I don't know. And one thing I did see that vampires could have even been identified or created as a set of propaganda for drinking blood for immortality, which pushes the adrenochrome narrative. I don't know, food for thought. But yeah, all in all, I think vampires, it's a fun concept, but I don't think they're entirely real. I think that they are not real in the way of living forever immortality. There's definitely some soul-sucking human beings out there, and hmm. the idea of psychic vampires or emotional vampires or psychological vampires I think is very real. As far as the physical entity of someone living forever and not having the ability to go out in the sun and a stake through the heart will kill anybody. A decapitation will kill anybody. So, Probably um, a bullet, too, whether it's made of silver yeah, or not will kill anybody. Bullet. I, I feel like most of the things, most of the lore on how to kill a vampire is also how to kill a human being. A lot of the lore just is from 1400s, 1500s, way back, and it stuck around and got passed down through storytelling it's such an interesting monster that we create in our head and a monster that we feel something for. It's propelled it into even modern day stories and even recent 
TV shows and movies, and it never stops. I think vampires as a whole are more of a pop culture icon. Vlad the Impaler, uh, Elizabeth Bathory, real people, very sick, sick fucking people, but their stories created this monster and were the real origin stories of all this. Vampires are fun. Spooky. Love it. Slick Frank Sanders, what are your final thoughts on vampires? Hmm. Mm. It's always hard to follow you up. It's always hard because I couldn't have said it better myself. I don't believe in the whole theatrical version of vampires. I think it's just that theatrical. I think that the modern conception of what a vampire is, is just hyper exaggerated and very imaginative. The upbringing of the whole astral vampire that we just read about in reddit is in fact in my opinion very real like mike said like dave said i think that there's people that have the ability to literally suck the energy force out of your body blood yeah sure if they wanted to but what's going to give them more sustenance blood or your energy probably your energy it's an interesting subject, like we mentioned, throughout the 14th through 2000, 14th century to 2000, we had tons of lore coming from Europe as well as the rest of the world, which has traveled through generations and storytelling, very much like the witch trial hunts that have been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. If you caught our frock factor for this month, if you're a patron, we talk about a vampire that was unearthed in Poland. Yeah, yeah, that was very interesting with the sickle, right? Yeah, the sickle around the neck. Yeah, yeah. I I think that a lot of the lore just comes from superstition. The church may or may not be involved. Again, theatrical vampires probably not a real thing. People that can suck your energy force, yeah, that's a thing. That's a sort of vampire, and I think that that exists. And that is my final thought. Well, I think that's going to do it for us, boys. Do we still have all of our blood in our bodies? Check your necks, check your necks. Did we forget to close the coffin? Did we tap the wrong vein? Dave, you're looking a little pale. More so than usual. Uh This topic is vast and dark hushlings, so reach out to us. If you think that we should have mentioned something, if you think that we missed something on this topic, as always, Email us, contact at hushhushsociety.com. And are you a vampire, most importantly? Let us know. In our next exclusive debriefing, we will continue to stay spooky with the legend of the Headless Horseman and Sleepy Hollow that will be available only on Patreon. That'll be coming out Thursday, October 20th. Thank you all for joining us. The Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, another quest of blood. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight. <laughs>